Welcome to Not Queer Enough. I'm your host, Dana Anastasia. Not Queer Enough is a heartfelt investigation into the idea of queer enoughness and an attempt to dispel the notion that queerness must be proven, earned, or gatekept. In this space, everyone who identifies as queer is queer enough, no matter what. With this first episode, I want to tell you the not queer enough origin story. The story I'm about to share with you today is something I wrote and performed for a queer storytelling workshop series that I participated in at the Seattle Repertory Theater in spring of 2023. The series was facilitated by queer writer and storyteller D.A. Navodi, who is a member of the Gila River Indian community. And the piece that I'm going to share with you today was originally performed at the culminating event of the series called Queer and Courageous Stories of Existence and Resistance, hosted at the Seattle Repertory Theater in May of 2023. Once this story came into being as a fully formed narrative, I realized just how much this is the story behind this project, this podcast, why it is that I'm doing what I'm doing, and trying to foster the conversations that I hope to foster through these episodes. So without further ado, here's my story. According to a 2021 Gallup poll, 56.8% of LGBTQ adults in the U.S. identify as bisexual. Bisexual people account for approximately 4% of the U.S. population, while gay and lesbian people make up about 2.5%. Of course, statistics are flawed, and this only accounts for those willing to publicly identify themselves as anything other than heterosexual on a survey. I don't know about you, but I suspect that far more than 6.5% of the population is queer, even though this statistic is higher than it's ever been on paper. The same Gallup poll found that over 20% of Gen Z adults identified as LGBTQ in 2021, making them the queerest generation ever surveyed. Now, as much as I would love to own that generational claim to fame— I'm a millennial. I was born in 1990 in a rural town about 30 miles east of Seattle, where my only reference points for queerness came through the TV every night. Will and Grace and the original pre-JVN Queer Eye for the Straight Guy weren't exactly the representation I needed. I first came out to my only gay friend when I was 17. I'm bi, I told him nervously, as we drove around in his mom's white Chrysler looking for something to do in our small, boring town. What? he asked, sounding half surprised, half distracted. But you're dating Colton. I'm sure you'll grow out of it. I sat there feeling confused, disappointed, honestly angry. I knew he was wrong, that he was failing to see me or hear me, That, in his mind, my choice to date a boy was the beginning and end of the story of my sexuality. 
but I stayed quiet. This friend was the only openly gay person at our high school, so he felt like an authority on what it meant to be queer, what it meant to be allowed to be seen as queer. When I mentioned my bisexuality to him again a few weeks later, he had forgotten I'd even come out to him in the first place. It was as if coming out as bisexual was inconsequential at best. Boring. Not queer enough. The first time I heard the phrase, not queer enough, I was 19, sitting in my women's studies course at Fairhaven College, waiting for class to start. A group of ultra-cool queers lounged on the low couches in the corner, talking loudly about their weekends. One of them vented about a woman she was dating. Yeah, I mean, she's amazing, she's fun, the sex is great, but she just isn't queer enough. So, even a woman who was actively sleeping with other women was at risk of being labeled not queer enough? Got it. Except I didn't get it. I felt so confused. Insignificant. Inadequate. That singular overheard moment would become the impetus for years of thought, reflection, and anguish. In a big way, that moment is the reason I'm here speaking to you right now. In different forms, these stories have repeated themselves in my life time and time again over the years. It would be a very impractical use of my time and yours to share in detail about every time I've been accused of not actually being queer because of the fact that I date men, of being asked to prove my sexuality or told, well, you don't look queer. The deepest of these cuts came from the ones who had access to my heart. Few things are more disorienting than being told you're not queer enough by your queer crush. For so long, I struggled to figure out what I was missing. Why my coming out experience didn't fit the mold of what I had been told to expect. Fanfare, open arms, an unconditional sense of belonging and acceptance... My limited experiences within queer community made it ever harder for me to find my way into queer community, and vice versa, like a feedback loop. Even after I migrated away from the term bisexual, adopting the more fitting and expansive term queer, granted I'm now in the process of proudly reclaiming the term bisexual, even after I shaved my head and got a feminist symbol tattooed on my arm and adopted they-them pronouns, my moment never came. That sigh of relief of feeling that, finally, I am enough. I kept jumping higher and higher, reaching toward this ideal of queer identity, which would grant me membership into the community I so longed to be a part of only to find myself more confused and dejected than ever. This led to a years-long process of self-denial, constant questioning, and continually trying to force myself into one box or the other. I was, quite literally, obsessed with the felt need to figure out whether I was gay or straight. The worst part of all of this wasn't actually the lack of acceptance I experienced from others, 
though that has been pretty fucking heartbreaking. It was the fact that I ended up turning that phrase, not queer enough, inwards on myself. It became a weapon, a means of flagellation. In hopes of fitting into the outside world, I policed my every thought, decision, desire, relationship. If I could manipulate myself into fitting the mold set by others, I thought, maybe I could finally be good enough, queer enough, deserving of friendship and chosen family and radical community. I'm 33 now, more comfortable in who I am, more at peace with not fitting the mold. I've found friends and community with other misfit queers, the ones who also move through the world haunted by the persistent sense that they're doing it all wrong, some of whom still don't feel entirely convinced that they're even allowed to call themselves queer. There's a sense of affirmation found in building solidarity with others who have been rejected by the same club. But I can't pretend that I don't still long for that sense of larger acceptance I've always dreamed of. That the alienation and loneliness I've experienced over the past two decades haven't drastically and brutally torn at the fabric of my mental health and stability. The difference now is that I can recognize the danger and violence inherent in the concept of queer enoughness. This standard and metric we impose on ourselves and those around us, like a measuring stick glued to the wall of an amusement park. Sociological research into the experiences of bisexual people still lags significantly behind similar inquiries into gay and lesbian experiences. But researchers are beginning to uncover the undeniable link between biphobia and mental health struggles. Before I continue, I just want to offer a brief note here that in the next section, I am going to be talking about some potentially distressing mental health topics and suicidality. According to the Human Rights Coalition, approximately 40% of bisexual people have considered or attempted suicide, compared to just over a quarter of gays and lesbians. When looking at the general population, that statistic plummets to between 5 and 10%. Now, I want to make it clear that all of these numbers are too high, absolutely. But the difference, I think, is important to pay attention to. Until just a few years ago, statistics like this weren't even available for bisexual-identified people, as surveys routinely only gave gay or straight as sexual orientation markers. According to researchers at the University of Manchester, Bisexual people are more than twice as likely to self-injure over the course of their lifetimes when compared to lesbians and gay men. Reports of self-injury in the study were often linked to feelings of anxiety, depression, and the feeling of not belonging. Despite bisexuals making up half of all LGBTQ-identified people in the U.S., bisexual-specific resource organizations receive less than 1% of all funding allocated to LGBTQ organizations. Bisexual people are less likely to attend queer events or seek out queer-specific resources due to a feeling of not being welcome or safe in those spaces. For many, this leads to a sense of isolation and a lack of proper care, which, in turn, can lead to anxiety, depression, and self-harm. 
Studies that focus specifically on bisexual teenagers have yielded similar findings. That bisexual youth are more likely to report feelings of sadness, hopelessness, and suicidality than their straight or gay counterparts. The specific blend of homophobia and biphobia faced by bisexual people is sometimes referred to as the double closet. When we seek community and belonging among straight-identified friends and community members, we often feel out of place, over-sexualized, misunderstood, and unfulfilled. Yet, when we attempt to find belonging and connection in queer spaces, many of us end up feeling scrutinized, judged, rejected. In short, not queer enough. Speaking about bi-struggle as a cis-assumed, straight-assumed person with access to privilege is intimidating and humbling. But as that young queer person living in a mountain town in the Cascade foothills, I needed me in the world. I needed there to be space to talk openly about how sad and scary it is to be a queer person pounding on the glass outside the queer party, never feeling heard, lingering by the door in hopes of gaining entry. I want to gather everyone around with care and patience so that we can talk together about how to transform the proverbial queer clique into a boundless, open-air, queer ecosystem. When we accuse ourselves and one another of not being queer enough, we perpetuate the notion that queerness is an uncommon experience, that true queerness is rare, special, something to be struggled toward and earned. And while there are important historical and cultural reasons why queerness is seen this way, imperialism, colonization, racism, Christianization, queerness isn't rare. It's everywhere. In the gender fluidity of gastropods, in the way every cornstalk bears all necessary components for reproduction, in the lack of clear definition between where my skin ends and the world around me begins. Queerness exists in the borderlands the paradoxes, the gradient, dreamlike experiences that make up our lives. Queerness is our birthright. All of us. Not in the sense that everyone is born to express queerness in the same way, or that we all long to find sexual connection with an array of people with different gender expressions or anatomy. Queerness is our birthright because fluidity is our birthright, because complexity and abundance and the right to exist beyond the bounds of definition are innate and indispensable. Of course, this is complicated terrain. There are reasons why bisexual people are often dismissed in conversations about queer identity and struggle. Many of us are straight-passing, perhaps even existing within hetero-passing relationships. This allows us access to privilege that more visibly queer people don't have. But we can't afford to bind our queerness to our suffering. They're not related. Not really. They've been made to know one another through violence and oppression, both historical and modern. But suffering doesn't make us queer just because the world makes us suffer in our queerness. 
Queerness isn't earned by withstanding pain and abuse. Queerness isn't earned at all. With care and intention, we can honor the dangers faced by the most visible and vulnerable among us and demand safety and protection without insisting that we are only as queer as we are traumatized. If you're queer, you're queer, without condition or qualification. I needed to hear this as a 12-year-old, sobbing in my bedroom, scared to death of the idea that I would one day have to choose between the seemingly contradictory yearnings of my heart. As a 17-year-old, bearing myself to friends who lacked the skills to hold my authenticity. As a 25-year-old, carefully curating my Tinder profile to make myself sound as definitively gay and dateable as possible. If you're queer, you're queer enough. Whether you're a cis man feeling the confusing glimmers of a queer crush undulating through you for the first time, or awakening to the gentle flutter of a skirt against your legs. Whether you have no interest in sex at all, but you can feel the dilapidated walls of the gender binary crumbling inside of you, letting the light of infinite possibility flood into your mind. Whether you've lived your whole life yearning for something that always seems to fall just out of reach. Queer liberation urges us to see and exist outside the confines of heteronormative constraint with ever more courage and creativity. It is the living process of erotic and spiritual unlearning and becoming. In its complex, divine, and chaotic nature, there is no right way to be queer. Even now, my mind often wanders back to those younger versions of myself. They're all huddled nervously inside of me now. And while I can't be sure how any of this has landed with any of you out there, standing proudly in my complicated authenticity is a gift I'm learning to give myself. If you'd like to see a video of me performing that piece live at the Queer and Courageous event at Seattle Rep this past spring, you can find that video on the Seattle Rep YouTube channel. Stay tuned for the upcoming episodes where you'll get to hear interviews between me and other queer creators and artists about the topic of queer enoughness and how that impacts us within queer community. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope that you'll continue listening into the future. And just please always remember that if you're queer, trans, non-binary, aromantic, asexual, however you identify within queer community, you're enough. <laughs>